Hello, and welcome to Gay for Horror, the show where not all the movies are gay, but I sure am. How are you doing? I am, um... <laughs> I'm in a state of constant panic. How about you? Okay, good. Um, I have... It's the end of September. September is over. It's now October. I'm going to watch so many horror movies in October, It's I'm going to just lose, lose sanity. So I wanted to record a quick end of September, what I watched episode. Uh, I have really meant to do more individual reviews <laughs> and not just exclusively do these what I watched episodes, but um, I think I'm way less invigorated to do very long in-depth chats about movies. Uh, not that I don't go and watch them in theaters, which I know is probably not logical, but there's something about particularly going to see something in a theater and then coming home and just having all the thoughts in my head that made it very fun to kind of uh, ex expel them in an exorcist fashion. Uh, I just don't have that. I I've seen lots of great movies and I've talked about them in these kind of recap episodes, uh, but I haven't had one that I really need to talk about. So we'll see if October, I think October will bring so many that they may just become impossible to parse. Uh, and I don't know if I can even do a whole end of October uh, episode, because it'll just be, I think it'll be infinite. Let's do September. Um, I have seen lots of good movies in September, great horror movies, things I want to tell people about. A lot of these might be familiar. Some of them might be new. I saw some bad things. I'm not going to talk about those, because those are my rules. Um, I may actually tip my hat on some of these, because some of them are real special. Uh, but I'm mostly going to focus on the things that I really, really liked, or that I at least liked enough. Um, so I'm going to do this chronologically based on how I watch them, which is no correlation to any objective reality. It's really as if my time is the world's time, and that's the kind of narcissism that I bring to this experience. Um, the first horror movie I watched in the month of September was Hashtag Alive, which is a Korean zombie movie i don't have a ton to say about it if you didn't know it existed please know it exists on netflix in the u.s i think it's good i think i i'm not zombie movies are not my personal forte they're not my first choice but what i will say about this one is i like zombie movies better when they are more urgent and horror driven in the sense that they are intended to be suspenseful and scary uh, the thing about zombie movies that really kind of makes me feel weary is um, when they do these, like, alternate future political allegory, we built a new world, and and it becomes about these, like, fictional government entities and colonies and new world, or it's just, it's... Um, Listen, if I watch a zombie movie, I don't want to watch The West Wing with zombies. I just want, I want Night of the Living Dead. I want, like, four people in a house, and I want to know what happens to them. And, and, and hashtag alive, uh, besides the fact of the hashtag, which is an annoying feature of the title, is that it's, you know, it's, it's a kid who's a video gamer, which I thought would play more of a role, but it doesn't really, except that he's in his apartment alone, and a zombie outbreak happens, and everything takes off very quickly, and it's just his survival story of, like, the first few days of being in the, the throes of a zombie uh, breakout. I think it's really enjoyable, and I recommend it if you like those kinds of things. I really have 
almost nothing deep to say about the movie. It's very satisfying and enjoyable. Um, the next one is a fairly controversial or divisive one uh, that I liked, which is uh, The Devil All the Time, the Antonio Campos movie. Uh, Antonio Campos has an interesting history of making films that are kind of divisive and a little bit unusual. Um, he has directed things like Simon Killer. Uh, he also directed a movie that I love called Christine, which, by the way, if you haven't seen Christine, uh, Christine is uh, a based on... <laughs> this is my recommendation of The Devil All the Time by way of my recommendation of Christine. <laughs> but Christine, I think it's... It used to be on Netflix in the U.S., maybe it's not, but it is um, really good. Uh, it's Rebecca Hall, who's just a fantastic actress, uh, playing uh, or, or starring in, in a biopic of a woman who was fairly anonymous, except that uh, she very famously uh, shot herself on live television uh, and died shortly after. And it's this totally like, it's just a strange kind of muted, uh, like yellow and brown color palette. And, there's, and it's just this kind of slow, very casual exploration of who she is. Uh, it's not a, as is the case with some of these movies, like a slow descent into some sort of like absurd mental hysteria. It's actually, she's just a lovely, smart, interesting person. And, and things are bad for her. And it, it's just a compassionate, beautiful movie. I think there's so many versions of that kind of story of someone who, who, whose story ends in violence um, that that are so kind of like shitty and violent and just, you know, quote unquote critiquing that violence by like making it look really cool. Like, I don't know, say Joker. And, and Christine by comparison is like the even killed, competent, um, and 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 compassionate version of that kind of story. Christine's great. Watch Christine. But also, The Devil All the Time is great too. And <laughs> The Devil All the Time is, um, you know, I think all of these, all of Antonio Campos's movies, in my experience, of the ones I've seen, are like much calmer than you think that they'll be based on the material that they cover. And The Devil All the Time is exactly that. I think the thing that makes it, um, you know, so it's Devil All the Time. If you don't know, it's one of these movies that stars like all the people in Hollywood, which is very appealing. It has, like, all the boys. It has Tom Holland from Spider-Man. It has Robert Pattinson from everything. It has uh, Bill Skarsgård from It. It has just all the boys, and and it and it's several generations of families that whose lives uh, go astray in the U.S. South under the sort of misguided ruse of uh, religious fanaticism and it sort of has a the night of the hunter sort of vibe which appeals to me very much as a fan of classical hollywood films and of things like night of the hunter um i'd also compare it a bit to william friedkin's killer joe which i think is an incredibly underrated and amazing movie which if you haven't seen you should go watch killer joe um like a southern gothic almost fable like but very pulpy uh very disastrously kind of gruelingly violent in parts but this one has this incredibly even-keeled temperament which i think is what distinguishes it i also think it's why people don't like it as much as they otherwise might uh because the whole thing is told from this omnipotent narrator it's like 
um, you remember like the first 10 minutes of Magnolia, the Paul Thomas Anderson movie, where there's just this like voice of God narrator pointing out coincidences? It's like if that narrator stayed the whole movie, uh, you know, there's a constant, consistent, even keeled sort of, uh, you know, uh, just detached voice of reason that's looking down on these sort of <laughs> misled, confused, violent uh, generations of families who are just in this like completely incidental, haphazard, and totally meaningless assemblage of of, of t- terrible events, uh, and and it's the choice not to make it suspenseful or scary is an odd choice that I think people makes people want to lean back from it because they feel like there's no effect on them personally by watching it and therefore it's quote-unquote boring which i understand but let me just put put forward that there's something really interesting about the choice not to lean in on the suspense or the scariness but to instead kind of pull back and keep it as sort of flat and uh, removed from the urgency as possible. And I think it does connect with the themes of the movie, which really have to do with the real messiness and d- division of humanity in relationship to something more all-knowing that is quoted commonly in terrible actions that are manipulative and often violent, uh, but which is never really understood or never really present in those uh, manifestations. And so I think as that is a theme, the sort of divide between a kind of like human perception on religion and the, the what what a kind of all-knowing perspective would actually look like, uh, I think it works. And I would recommend it. Uh, Robert Pattinson's great. He does a hell of a weird accent, which um, has gotten much, much coverage. Uh, I think Tom Holland is really good. Uh, they're all doing Southern accents. It's all British people doing Southern accents. I don't know why we do that. We just do it all the time, don't we? Remember that remake of All the King's Men where everyone was British? It was like, <laughs> it was a remake of All the King's Men, which is very distinctly Southern, uh, U.S. Southern. And it was like Kate Winslet and Jude Law and everyone was British. Didn't go so well. Anyway, uh, The Devil of the Time, I would recommend. I really liked it. Um... So put it on your list or whatever. Do whatever you like with it. Um, Spiral on Shudder. This one is very apt because this is called Gay for Horror and it's a gay horror movie or a horror with gays in it. So I have to like it, right? No. Um, It's good. It's nice. I like movies that have gay people in them. I think that's a lovely touch. I think as a... As a queer person who likes horror, it's nice when we exist. Uh, it's strange when we don't. Uh, it's a little bit like, huh, so they just don't have any of those where you are. Interesting. Um, you know, it kind of just makes sense that, that if you have a horrific story, that, that, that there would be a variety of people present, <laughs> especially if it, there's, a, there's a whole community involved. Uh, I like this, so this is kind of, um, I would describe it favorably as like a Rosemary's Baby meets Urbania, which if you haven't seen Urbania, you should watch Urbania. This whole episode is me recommending other movies. <laughs> what if we're supposed to be recommending the movies I watched in the month of September? Listen, if you want, uh, Urbania is great. It's like one of the first gay movies I secretly watched on cable TV. Um, 
It's great. I rewatched it recently. It's 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 kind of a it's almost a horror movie. I would if I was teaching a class on queer horror, I would not hesitate to put it on the syllabus, even though it's not explicitly you know in terms of marketing a horror movie. But Urbania is about um, what's his name Dan Futterman, who's adorable. He's he won the Oscar for writing Capote, and he also plays the um, painfully very attractive, but supposed to be quote unquote frumpy hot guy in that Will and Grace episode where Will makes over a frumpy guy into a hot guy. You know when they do that, she's all that bullshit where it's like the cutest human in the world with glasses on, and they take the glasses off and they're like, oh, you're a different person. They did that on Will and Grace with Dan Fetterman, who's absolutely adorable. And in Urbania, he is. Uh, I don't know, I don't want to spoil anything. He's just, he's an adrift man with a dark past. And that kind of unfolds over time as to what the dark past is. Uh, But it's also this kind of, like, movie where he's just sort of wandering around New York and, like, uh, just tormenting his neighbors and flirting with guys at bars. And it's sort of like a... It has a really, uh, almost like, uh, what's this Chris says, the movie After Hours, which has a sort of Kafka feel. It kind of has an After Hours feel, which I, which I guess means it has a kind of Kafka feel, but maybe not as surreal as that. But anyway, Spiral reminded me of like a Rosemary's Baby meets Urbania because it has uh, Urbania's sense of kind of a queer past, um, particularly as it relates to, you know, potential tragedies. Uh, but it also has this like cult neighbor phenomena, a very, but there's no Ruth Gordon and that's a mistake. Uh, Ruth Gordon and Rosemary's, Ruth Gordon and anything is amazing. I, I say this all the time. I love character actors, especially women, women character actors. Um, Ruth Gordon is an angel and a wonderful hero of mine. Uh, Harold and Maud is amazing. Uh, there's no Ruth Gordon, but there are suspicious neighbors who might be cultish. And the thing I like about the movie is it, you know, I think what's interesting about queer horror, where there's queer people in the horror, is that I think horror is so innately queer already. Uh, it's like structured, I would argue, and this is can be disagreed with wildly, but I would argue it's kind of structurally and innately queer in a way that like, it's already so queer that when you put queer people in it, it just seems sort of like, okay, I guess we could do it that way too. Um, you know, and so sometimes it doesn't really work as well as you want it to. Uh, I think most slashers where queer people are the victims don't really work. I have a whole thing about slashers. Um, I think they're very queer innately, but part of what makes them queer is that they're about tormenting very hyper-normative teenagers. And when you make the victims like gay men on, uh, you know, uh, uh, Fire Island, I'm not sure anymore. But listen, this one kind of works because what I like about it is it takes some of the scenarios of like a cult movie, you know, to the in the sense of the the neighbors are sort of weird, and are they looking at us through the window, and you know, are they are they are they being strange, Uh, and it takes some of those things that are common in cult movies, uh, but it kind of gives it the added burden of 
oh, but like maybe they're just homophobic. <laughs> because for gay couples, and this movie set in the 90s, for gay couples in the 90s, the neighbors might just be weird to you, and it wouldn't mean that they're they're in a cult. And I think that that's the best part of the movie, is that it takes some of the things that, that happen in cult movies, and it situates it in relationship to a gay couple, and then all of those events have a sort of extra meaning, which is interesting. Um, it also does sort of construct itself as, in some sort of way as a response to bigotry, which is a nice aspect, I guess. Uh, but I, I would say overall it is very familiar in structure, but sort of nice in message and I think mostly effective. My only sort of qualm is that um, it has one of those like the story itself is not scary enough, so we need to add other elements, like maybe he's also hallucinating, so that you can have a couple of, like, like ooga booga moments where someone, like, runs at the camera. Which I, you know, as, someone, as, as I've said, my favorite horror movie is Jack Clayton's The Innocence, which has exactly three scares in it. If your plot is just in such a way that you don't have those moments, I think don't put them in, but there is some, there's some, there's some urge to put those things in. And, and they're, they're, it's fine. It's a lovely movie. You, I wouldn't pass. I wouldn't say no, but I, uh, and we should support, we should support things where queer people exist, right? That's a good thing. So I would say a polite, sure, to that one. Um, <laughs> Antebellum is complicated, and I don't know that I have the mental energy to fix, like, my, my, my reservations and my complicated feelings right now. Uh, nor do I feel that I'm necessarily qualified to resolve those things. Uh, what I'd say about Antebellum, one is that I love Janelle Monet, uh, and I love Kirstie Clemens, and I love Gabrielle Sidibe, like I love everyone in the movie. Uh, is it's, inter it's an interesting watch. I would recommend watching it wholeheartedly, uh, but it is very unusual. Uh, the, I don't want to say any of the things that are secret, so I would just say... What I can say without spoiling anything is I think it is structured in such a way that you mostly don't know what's happening uh, for about an hour. And I, and that doesn't give away what is happening. It just is a bit of information about the experience that I had uh, where it really is intentionally withholding to the point where it gets a little bit like much. Uh, I am of the opinion, and I've said this before, that twists are not really very helpful. They're not narratively very helpful because they only make the ending of the movie interesting. And you have to really believe in the rest of the movie. You have to make the whole movie interesting without the twist. And I think a lot of movies that implement the idea of a twist really lean in to what will be, that people will be inspired to reevaluate what they've seen enthusiastically. Uh, but, but you know, if you think of successful twists, like, say, I don't know, The Sixth Sense, which is the most famous possible twist, I think, uh, to look at, the thing about The Sixth Sense is the whole movie works. It works before the twist, and with the twist, it still works. It's just different. But if the twist wasn't there, it would still be a good and enjoyable movie. 
And I think that a lot of movies forget that they need to also make the material work and make it dramatically compelling so that the, ver the version of what you think you're, you're seeing is already successful. And then the thing that complicates that or, or alters that or transforms that just gives you that much more reason to be interested in it. Um, I mentioned in the in the recap episode where I talked about my favorite films, horror films of 2019, I did a whole rundown of the ending of Jordan Peele's Us, which is a movie that I loved. And part of what I loved about the ending to Jordan Peele's Us is I think that there is something that some people call a twist, but I don't think it is. I think I think it's some it's a piece of information that is relevant, but I don't think that it is a dramatic reconfiguring of everything that you've seen. I think the whole movie works, and then there is a kind of final piece of information that complicates things a little bit further, uh, but it's also kind of a an affirmation of something that's already kind of in the air of the movie. You know, it's it's it kind of it kind of concludes and builds on the themes that already exist in the movie. It's not a radical departure from what you've seen. Antebellum really is leaning into the like you'll never guess sort of M Night Shyamalani kind of energy. And I think it, it's bold. I think the cinematography is stunningly beautiful. It's very beautiful to look at. Uh, however, the it's a little bit of a... The ending is fascinating, and it, it has a lot of... It's, there's a lot of great material in it. I just don't know if it's worth sitting through so much with so little understanding or, or motivation for you know, what you're looking at. If you don't know what you're looking at, it becomes really difficult to care about the characters. It becomes difficult to invest in the stories. Um, I also think, you know, the first hour or so is mostly a narrative of enslaved people in a very picturesque, told in a very picturesque, very cinematically beautiful way. And I'm not sure that it... I, I just don't know that I need to watch another narrative of enslaved people where people are hurt and treated badly uh, in a way that doesn't have meaning very tangibly and specifically. Uh, because there's withheld information, everything is kind of removed and distant, and it kind of just feels a little bit like the idea of a narrative of enslaved people, and it, you, you're held at enough distance that it just becomes a little bit, it's just uncomfortable. It's just not, you know, you don't really care about the characters because there's so little to grab onto, but then you're just watching them be hurt. And it's also very visually beautiful. And it just, it just feels like a precarious situation to be in. Uh, and maybe that's the point. I don't know. I don't, I don't have a great read on that. Uh, I like the movie overall. I like the experience of it overall. I genuinely don't know what I think about it, except to say that I did like it overall and I would recommend it. Uh, but I do add the caveat that I, you should kind of go in consciously knowing that you're not going to have a good grasp on what's happening for a long time and you have to kind of reconcile with that. And I guess it's up to you to decide whether that ends up being a satisfying experience. Uh, but what I can say for sure is it's not pleasant to watch for most of the runtime, which, depending on what your evaluation of, uh, what your criteria are for evaluating film, you know, if it's entertainment value, 
it's there's a lot that's just there's a lot there's a lot that's difficult to watch uh and a lot that is not a fun experience to sit through uh and ultimately i think it is meaningful and interesting and important uh you know that all that material plays a role in how you understand the last act of the movie uh but in the moment of watching it it's not so fun so I don't know. I mean, it's a. It, this is like. I, I guess. I, I guess I meant all these to be recommendations, but I've spent way too much time enumerating the flaws. Uh, it's good. It's imaginative. It's very bold. It's very audacious. It's a. It's a kind of like big swing movie that you should probably watch and have a feeling about, and report back on to the other people that you know that watched it. Uh, and if that feeling is negative, that's fine. But if the feeling is positive, that's great. And, uh, I think, I think all the actors are good in it. And I think that it is a version of a horror story that I have not seen exactly in this way before. And it does strike me as something that is unlike many, some of these other things on this list that I've said, or will continue to say, it's fine. It's good. I've seen it before. I haven't seen this before, so that's a good thing in its own right, I think. Uh, next up is Alone, which is exactly one of those movies <laughs> that I've seen before, but it's good. Alone is a very kind of uh, taut thriller. It's very primal, like walking home alone at night. It's a woman in her car who's moving with a U-Haul. Uh, what do you call that? Not pickup. What do you call it when you attach to the back of your car? I don't know. But, you know, she has all of her belongings tethered to hitch. Is it hitch? No. Hitch? Do you hitch something to a car? How, what do you do to a car? What, do you, what happens when you, when, you, when you hook it up to a car? What do you call that? I'll think about it later. But <laughs> she's put all of her belongings. Uh, she's connected them to her car. She's driving somewhere to move. And she's reeling with... Um, the death of her someone, uncle, father, husband, uh, someone. And uh, and she starts to think she's getting followed. Uh, it's a really great first 20 minutes because it really taps into that like uncomfortable sense of, oh, I think this is a problem. I think this person is not, like I think this person might be someone who's wishing ill on me, but also the kind of nervousness around making very decisive actions about that because you potentially look totally paranoid. Uh, and I think those first 20 minutes are really, really effective and very scary and really uh, capture what that feels like in a very accurate way. Um, you know, that thing where like you are just sort of like walking and you feel totally fine and then you sort of just look around and realize that there's no one around and you start to think about if someone approached you, what would you do? that energy is very present. Um, I think the remainder of the movie is good and I think more nuanced than most films of this kind, which is why I would recommend it overall. Uh, but it's definitely, you know, it's it's a movie about a woman who is being pursued and we've seen a lot of those. Uh, but I would just say that this is a well-done version of that and one that is reasonably sensitive to the nuances of uh, the experiences of people in that situation. There's some like actually character-driven scenes in the movie. It's not like a totally salacious or violent for the sake of violent movies. Um, 
And I would say that the, the creep in the movie is like a true, relatable, recognizable creep. I don't want to give away all of his information, but in a lot of these movies, the sort of, the creep is kind of like a movie creep. I really, I really believe this creep is a creep. I find, I find this creep believable. Put that on a poster. Um, it's a good movie. I would recommend it. It's on VOD. Antebellum is on VOD too, by the way. And Spiral is on Shutter. if I didn't say that. Did I say that? I don't remember. The Devil All the Time is on Netflix. If I didn't say that. <laughs> um, the Swerve. I don't even know if we should call this a horror movie, but also I'm so open to the idea of everything being a horror movie that, like, fuck it, I don't care. Uh, but if you're someone who's not of that disposition and you want to watch, like, a horror movie, don't watch this one. Uh, this is, like, I I described it as something between... Um, somewhere on a spectrum between, like, American Beauty and Repulsion. Uh, Azura Sky. speaking of character actors, by the way, Azura Sky, who's a great character actor, who's, like, she was Jane in Zoe Duncan, Jack and Jane on the WB from the 90s. Do you remember this? No, that's okay. Uh, she was also on, um, an episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer. She's someone who you'd probably recognize. She's lovely and talented and a great character actor who's been in many supporting parts, playing the guest star in a million shows. And she gets to be the lead in this movie. Uh, it's a super depressing movie about a woman who is uh, having very erratic sleep brought on by the tension and anxiety around her family situation. And her erratic sleep starts to lead to a lack of her grasp in on reality. And that in turn leads to very bad things happening to her and her family. Uh, so it has that sort of like creepy loss of control, loss of uh, loss of kind of sensibilities, uh, losing time, losing your sense of whether things happened or they were dreamed. Uh, and so I think that's where sort of the horror aspects come in. There's also some, there is some kind of really gut-wrenching awfulness in terms of the aftermath and ramifications of this stuff. So it has that sort of like slow loss of sanity mixed with something atrocious, but it, it you could very much class it as a drama. And I think that people wouldn't really blink about that, but it is being sort of put into the realm of being kind of made or available to review by horror media. So I feel like horror is a place for it to be that where it might speak to some people. Um, I think it's great. I don't want to give away anything about what happens. Uh, but I think if you want something that is a little bit more, huh, this would be for you. <laughs> this would be for you. I think it, you know, it's some of it's familiar in the sense that like the slow descent and a loss of sanity is, is very familiar. But I think there's a really great specificity to the scenes in this movie. There's a really like, uh, uh, there's a really, there are a lot of scenes that are genuinely made me uncomfortable and I am sort of obnoxiously jaded. So I think that this, if you want something that is like dramatic, emotional, uh, character driven, but still kind of like creepy, I think the swerve uh, is it. Um, and Azura Sky is so good. And I love when they give a character actor her own movie. Uh, and make her the lead and let her be a dramatic lead. Uh, there's a million of them. Uh, you, you know, uh, I, I, there's like, uh, Tracy Ullman has a movie where she's a dramatic lead called Household Saints, 
Um, Carol Kane has a movie where she's a dramatic lead uh, called Hester Street, which is brilliant. Um, Molly Shannon has been the dramatic lead in a couple of movies now. I think Year of the Dog was the first one, but also other people she's great in. Um, Rachel Harris has one called Natural Selection. Like these movies where they pluck out a character actor who is not known for dramatic work and give them the like very serious, dramatic, emotional arc that they often don't get because character actors mostly just show up and like say like, hey, what's going on? Like in a very Thelma Ritter sort of way. Like Thelma Ritter in uh, Pick Up on South Street, uh, which was one of her six Oscar nominations, but like is possibly her most, that scene in Pick Up on South Street where Thelma Ritter talks about how she's living so that she can die. It's one of the top 10 saddest, most beautiful scenes in all of classical Hollywood, I think. Watch Pick Up on South Street and maybe watch The Swerve. Listen, this is a recommendation collage. Um, oh, here's some bad ones. I'm, I'm scrolling past a lot of titles, so that this was a bad. This is a bad run of days for me. Uh, Rent a Pal. Rent a Pal is kooky, and I like it a lot. Rent a Pal is a movie about a uh, sad, you know, sort of lonely human. Uh, who is failing miserably at doing, uh, you know, video dating services in the 90s, uh, like VHS dating services. And he buys this VHS cassette called VHS tape. Is that what we call it? It's been so long since I said those words. You just, what do you call it? You call it, a, you call it a cassette tape? What do you call it? A VHS? Sure. He buys this VHS uh, called Rent a Pal, um, where Will Wheaton plays this, like, just, like, the manifestation of, of a gross, like, toxic dude who's very, like, um, all those women don't understand us, bro, that guy. Uh, he's very that. And, uh, and the he sort of just espouses this, like, totally isolationist, misogynist philosophy and, tr like, soothes and comforts um, the protagonist, uh, and kind of slowly drives him away from his generosity of spirit and his warmth of character, uh, as someone who's taking care of his mother and who's, like, pursuing actual human connection, and over the course of the movie, over the course of the movie, he really, uh, falls into this mentality. Um, I talked about a movie called Mother of Monsters, like, two months ago, which was, I thought, an interesting movie that tried to address the kind of radicalization of young men on the internet. And I think Rent a Pal is interesting because I think it addresses that, but it's such a historically anomalous, you know, it's, it's not a contemporary movie about internet culture or, you know, young men being sort of, like, lost to the sort of, like, influence of the internet or, you know, radicalized by the influence of the internet. It's kind of that story, but done with a VHS tape in the 90s. It's very period. Um, so it feels salient, but also I think it feels kind of timeless because it's it's sort of a reminder that there's been versions of this for a very long time. As much as we feel like this experience is new, it's actually quite common and quite ancient. Uh, and maybe in the past was probably more common. It was like, uh, you know, it was probably that attitude was much more the norm. Uh, and so in, in our contemporary moment, attitudes of that sort, which are 
kind of ghastly to experience. They're more outliers, and they feel distinctly sharper and more awful. Um, but the news is interesting because it really gives... Uh, it gives the a, a kind of a face and, and a connection to the, that experience of being sort of seduced by the idea of of wanting to have an identification with someone. But also, he does have a sort of hyper-queer connotation because he's like becomes obsessed with talking to this man in this videotape uh, who is the only one that understands him. Uh, but but it, it does give a sort of face and an empathetic connection to the experience of being seduced by that feeling of wanting to be connected and the ability to tune out the parts of life that are more difficult uh, by way of, you know, isolating yourself and removing your openness to connection, your openness to people, and and the outcome of that is awful. And I think, um, to echo what I said about Christine, I think uh, this movie is like more of a story about someone who succumbs to a sort of dangerous ideology uh, in the way that we see lots of movies about men who grow and become violent and kind of aggressive. Christine is like an inverse to that in a lot of ways. I think this is, it's not quite an inverse because it's very consistent with some of those narratives, those like Joker-ish narratives. Um, but it is, I think, way more sort of sensitive and way more evident in its, uh, in its kind of disdain for the character who's doing the sort of seducing of the protagonist. Uh, it's really kind of like, uh, it's kind of a bleak farce because it's this like ridiculous videotape that just keeps looping back and forth, uh, you know. And I would compare it to things like uh, the King of Comedy, the Martin Scorsese movie, uh, where or Punch Drunk Love, where it's like it's sort of sad and dark, but like if you think about it too long, it gets really uncomfortable. Uh, but it's kind of funny. But then when you actually think about what's happening, it's painful. Um, I think it. I think it's it's more on that wavelength than a lot of the other things that I think a lot of movies try to do this kind of story, and because it seems so, it seems so, it seems to honestly speak to a lot of the kinds of people who are socially frustrated, emotionally stunted men who are a lot, a lot of the people who make movies, and uh, and I think a lot of people make a bad version of this story. I think this is a good version of that story. So rent a pal. Um, is, I think, also on VOD as well. Okay, this is where I'm going to name drop some shitty movies. Uh, I watched... There was one day where I accidentally watched four movies that were vlog horror movies, and I didn't really know that that was a thing, but as I saw four of them in one day, I now know that vlog horror movies are a thing. And, I mean, I'd certainly seen found footage, and I'd certainly seen, like, Google chat or Zoom chat versions of this and things like Host or Unfriended. But the idea of someone who films himself all the time for social media being the target of horror, uh, it, it came up, it's come up in several movies that were released this year. Uh, Death of a Vlogger is the best one of the four that I saw. Uh, it's a very small very, uh, British movie that's like, it's on VOD, I think you can find it on VOD, uh, uh, and... It is interesting, maybe, it has, okay, so it has the, like, appeal and energy of very, of a very, very small horror movie, which I love. Like, I, one of my pet peeves, which I talked about a lot in my review of The Turning, the Floristic Monday movie, which I do like, but I hate, like, CGI, like, spooky things that, like, jump out at you 
and it's very kind of like someone running at the camera really fast and it's like a cgi monster that is so not no who no one actually is scared by that no one no one is no one is because it's not scary because it's just it might be startling but it doesn't really like affect you or, or transform your sense of comfort you know the things that i really love in horror are like the ones that have the sort of playfulness of like like old-timey magic where it's like someone off camera like tilting a picture frame and then when the camera turns back the picture is crooked right like like just this little kind of like doing little things off camera or making little movements or kind of like conspiring to make a kind of like spooky ghost story and it's very simple and it's very small and it's like one person just doing one small thing and it's just you know the camera pans back and something is just slightly awry uh, that kind of level of simple fun horror is very appealing to me and death of a vlogger has that first uh it's a story of a vlogger who is who goes viral when there supposedly is a ghost in his uh youtube videos but then there's speculation as to whether it's real but then there's more videos and it the movie is a kind of faux mock documentary about the experience of this vlogger and what he posted to social media and whether it's re quote unquote real or not and it's great because it has these little, like, spooky, simple, kind of, like, ghosty, like, oh, what was that? And then, like, the camera pans and there's, like, whatever. There's, like, a teacup that's just sort of gently spinning or, like, someone just touched it, you know? That kind of, like, cheeky, simple, kind of, uh, you know, not CGI, not complicated, not, not special effects driven, just sort of, like, old-timey, like, theater tricks and shit. Uh... It has that, but then it has this added layer of, like, really, it's about the, sort of, it's, it is a movie about the experience of filming yourself for for profit, and the there is a weird part of the internet that I have discovered by watching a couple too many, like, YouTube documentaries at wee hours of the morning about strange people who, like, just, pr like, pretend to have a different life, or fake having a... Uh, mental illness or fake having a drug dependency because they get into this weird symbiotic relationship to people on the internet who either want them to get better or want to watch them like mess up or want to you know are like trying to figure out if it's real or not or what's going on and people will sustain this kind of like strange performance on social media for a long period of time i mentioned this when i reviewed host in one of these episodes I said, you know, it's. I've always thought like the internet is a strange place, and you could fake anything. You could like, you could fake, you could do a long con where you make like a candle channel and then stage a murder, and as if you've been like murdered live on camera in your candle channel. Like you could do some terrifying, elaborate thing just to hurt people or scare people. Uh, and this movie kind of like taps into that possibility of like, what if someone went went about trying to get an audience and sustain an audience by creating a, a myth about a personal experience and what would that experience be like for the person who is in the pro like in the center of it to like produce and sustain and then also what would be the kind of reaction and reception of that uh, so i think it almost is even more than it is about the videos which are sort of so-called haunting videos which have that sort of fun very lo-fi charm it is kind of about this like 
the destructive need to sustain something that becomes the thing that you're known for in a professional arrangement where being seen and known is the only thing that you can commodify for profit. So it's an interesting movie about vlog culture, and it has like little cute spooky things. And I like it, and I would recommend it. I watched many other vlog horror movies, uh, which I think are bad. Um, but the worst one was this one called Spree that I'm going to name because I think it's so bad that uh, I just don't think people should watch it. I think it's an ethical, and I, I think it is, um, I think it's the worst idea I've seen for a movie in the longest time. Uh, in that, first of all, it's very derivative, but second of all, it's like, so in this movie, Joe Keery, uh, who's also very adorable, uh, there's a movie called, a really lovely movie um, that Stephen Cohen made called Henry Gamble's Birthday Party that Joe Keery was in before he was on Stranger Things. And it's a really sweet movie about like a young queer boy in a, a religious community and his like struggling to come out with his religious family. And it's lovely. Go watch that. But um, but don't watch Spree. So that's the that's a Joe Carey movie you can love. This Joe Carey movie, no. Uh, because it is a movie, so Joe Carey plays a creep who is who decides to try and get attention by murdering people on like a live stream. And the premise of the movie is that uh, Zashir Zamata plays this young, interesting, funny, intelligent comedian who is a black woman. And Joe Carey becomes obsessed with her because she's funny and interesting and people like her and no one likes him. And so basically he sets out trying to kill her. And the, the movie is seemingly trying to like endorse the idea that the Jasir Zamata character, Jesse, is is like a genuinely intelligent, funny human that people like because she's genuinely intelligent and funny and he is not and he's sort of pitiful and and no one wants to watch him. And so it's kind of on her side, so to speak, or you know, trying to advocate for her as a as a human that should be followed in comparison to the protagonist. Uh, but like ultimately it's a weird backwards movie that's trying to like valorize the you know the importance of a funny intelligent black woman by centering the movie around the creepy white guy that tries to murder her it's so weird why don't you just make a movie about her like i don't understand <laughs> it was i don't understand it's like a movie where the person that you're most interested in and attached to is not the lead of the movie and in fact is the lead of the movie is like the creep who wants to kill her and the whole time you're just like why aren't we if you want to make a movie that 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 valorizes intelligent funny black women that sounds like a lovely idea but make a movie about them don't make a movie about white dudes who want to kill them that's so stupid why would you do that why 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 is that a thing? why why did why did that why and i get someone somewhere i'm sure has interpreted this as like a savvy critique it's, it's really like the thing you give energy to and the thing you put on camera is the thing that you are in some way i think implicitly endorsing and when you make the creepy guy the protagonist you are weirdly situating the audience with him and not with her and here's a radical idea just just make more movies about black women and not about the people that are hurting them try that anyway death of a vlogger is lovely but spree not so much um, is that the last one? That is the, well, that's the last one that I liked. Uh, so, um, you got a couple of recommendations and also a rant, so you're very welcome for that. 
Um, I hope that this was helpful, and I hope that some of these movies interest you. I am sure that for October, I my cup will have uh, over... What's the... My cup will overflow with recommendations. Uh, I may even just not even be able to get through all the horror movies in October, so we'll see what happens. Uh, but that was September, and September was blissfully simple, and there was about, what, eight movies in there? So... Enjoy some of those. If you want to watch any of those and you'd like to let me know what you thought, you can email me at uh, gayforhorror at gmail.com and I will uh, see that. And then uh, if you made it all the way to the end of this, that's so kind of you and I don't know why you even did that, but it's just much appreciated. Uh, and I do have to tell you, because it is required that I tell you, that we do recruit and we do convert, so you're totally gay now. Bye!